Look out to the chat room. We got fun and games. We got all the memes you want, but you better come here today. We've got the posters that you'll find, whatever you may need. And if you've got your pepes, we got your disease. Welcome to the chat room. Welcome to the chat room. Won't you bring me to you? Memes? Memes? Ah. So, I don't want to, I'm sorry that I felt I started the stream so uh, irreverently considering the, the day it is. It is, after all, 9-11, which is a very important date and, of course, a very important day for the city that I live in, my adopted home of New York. It was on this day that Hillary Clinton puked, shit her pants, and fell into a SUV. And the world was never the same. The day of outdoor summer hoops. Man, that was a moment, wasn't it? When Hillary fell over. I watched that. We, we interviewed the guys who made the Pepe documentary. And I watched that segment where they talk about how this felt like they'd memed it into reality. And I got to say, that's certainly how it felt at the moment. It felt like everyone. I know, of course, those freaks like to take things proprietarily because they suffer so much for being online, as in, you know, their lives are so miserable outside of it that they, they essentially deserve credit for creating all concepts because they spend the most time on here. But sorry, it doesn't mean you're good at it. It just means your life sucks. Uh, anyway... I really feel like that was a group off, group project. Not even on our part, uh, willingly. It's just the idea that she was wildly ill and hiding it was just very funny. And turns out, I, she probably wasn't even sick because, I mean, honestly, if you would have, would you have asked yourself back then, 9-11, 2016, do you think Hillary will be alive in 2020? I think most people would be like, no. Unless they find her in a robot body, she's going to fucking conk out. But here she is. Because these people can't die. It's one of the many evocative, like, mythological elements of QAnon that, like, rings true. Why are these evil people essentially immortal? And Adridochrome stands in for the excess, the excess, the surplus value that they heap onto themselves. It allows them, essentially, to stave off death by the... Uh, it, uh, intervention of technology. And you know, it doesn't even necessarily mean you, you don't even necessarily to have to have that much more than other people to live unnaturally longer than them because you're not affected by the things that kill tons of Americans. Like, you have the time and money to avoid the costs of, of um, unhealthy eating habits or alcohol or anything else. You can offload those. You can pay to have them dealt with. Instead of having the problem create more problem and more problem and, and bring you into an earlier grave. And of course they don't expose themselves to the hazards of life that kill so many Americans. And they're never going to have to worry about having their lifespan shortened by excessive use of drugs because they don't need drugs. Power is their drug. And adrenochrome, the idea that there's a chemical in brains that is emitted during fear and pain 
that can be consumed ritually and that will extend life, that speaks to the reality of life lived in the very sight of these people doing this while we're all suffering. Woodrow Wilson said that he was terrified of the automobile when it was introduced because he thought that the fact that now poor people would get to see rich people driving around in these vehicles would cause them all to spontaneously declare themselves Bolsheviks and overthrow capitalism. He was genuinely afraid that the ostentatiousness of, of this iron chariot whipping around and running over poor kids was going to make people so sharply aware of class distinctions that they would have overthrown capitalism. Now, we've, we've seen that this country has particular uh, bafflers built into it to withstand any overflow of radical, radical activism. It's got, it's got so many bafflers and chambers and venting ports that it's been able to disarm popular misery no matter where or how much it emerges, basically since World War II. Got the sun in my eyes here. I gotta move. Uh, uh, I know it's. I know I look very. Have, oh fuck! This is what I do for you people. Uh, uh, man, I got this post here. Is the only thing that's stopping me from getting sun on my face. This is annoying. Uh. Hold on a minute. Yeah, I'm sure this is a lot of fun for everybody watching me do this. I might have to go back to the gross wall that everybody hates because there's no sun here. So sorry if it looks like I'm in... Uh, sorry if it looks like I'm waiting to get executed with Nick Berg or something, but... Uh, All right. Here we go. This ought to be all right. Uh, this is fine. You get to see the freaking, uh, the, the, what do they call those? Transmission boxes? I don't know. I don't understand math or engineering. Uh, cable box? Transformer? I think it might be a transformer. Fuse box? Whatever it is, I don't know. It's some sort of technology that keeps me from dying of exposure. Uh, so was I even talking about 9-11 something? Oh, Hillary falling over. Yeah, that was really funny, wasn't it? She comes out wearing those glasses and goes, I feel great! Never really got better than that. No, there was never a funnier day than that. Never a more unalloyedly funny day of this whole thing than that. It's funny now that the left has gone around to thinking 9-11 was an inside job, right? Because <coughs> right after 9-11, <coughs> right 9-11 trutherism was a sole province of the radical left. That was it. Like Alex, and, that, and that's why seeing Alex Jones' trajectory is interesting because he started off, in the national consciousness anyway, after being an, an Austin goof-up before that, on 9-11 and becoming a conduit for left-wing uh, disillusionment with the status quo channeled into the narrative of Trump Bush doing 9-11. Uh, and then I feel like there was a pushback 
led by people like Matt Taibbi, where they say, who got called left gatekeepers, uh, who they said, look, you're ignoring all the realities of power and the, and the contours of power in this country to create a, a passion play about these evil uh, Bush people when the, real, the reality of American politics and geopolitics and geostrategic strategy is that things like 9-11 are the inevitable outgrowth of American policy and are then incorporated back into American foreign policy as an Ouroboros. It doesn't require intervention from the state. And now it feels like we're back to the smart opinion being that 9-11 was an inside job. Now, though, as an expression of like a deeper awareness of the absurdly, uh, basically as a way to explain the failure of the left to generate any, anything. Like, there was no real left in, in 2001 in America. It had basically turned into nothing. Like, the, the last, the, 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 you had, um, you know, people can point to something like the battle in Seattle, but I honestly think minus 9-11, that would have uh, turned into a, uh, like a last gasp of something. It, it, it didn't really build to anything. It was like that anti-globalization movement, it reached the point of like highest conflict with the state and then, because there's no higher way to go, there was more, uh, there was no higher level of conflict with the state that they were capable of or willing to carry out, it dissipated. Uh, and so 9-11 kind of like helped build like even a self-conscious left in this country, first around being anti-war. But then within that, there was the hardcore who used 9-11 as a narrative to like construct a story of American malevolence that explained the horror of this thing that had happened to us, saying, no, no, I know this is awful and it should, and it should make you mad, but don't be mad at them, be mad at the people in charge. And that's, that was, in the context of the Bush administration, a left-wing position. The right pretty much loved Bush, especially right after 9-11. And in fact, for a while, 9-11 truth was used by people who wanted to, during the Obama years especially, who wanted to, both sides, stuff like birtherism, they would say, yeah, Republicans believe kooky stuff, like, like that Obama wasn't born in America, but leftists believe that 9-11 was an inside job. And it was considered like a sine qua non for that like, left position. Uh, but it was left coming into its own. Now, the left has failed to achieve liftoff at a time of maximum crisis, a crisis that makes 9-11, that dwarfs 9-11, that is in the aftermath of 9-11. And it has, like, renders 9-11 in a day-to-day -day basis smaller and smaller in the minds of people who at one time had it consume their entire identity. And so an answer has to come to why hasn't the left succeeded? Why hasn't the left succeeded, considering how bad things have gotten? And if things getting bad don't make people act better, then what hope do we have? You know, that was what got us out of the Depression, essentially, uh, without becoming a barbarous, a, a total fascist country, was the, was the, was the effort of people uh, who experienced the Great Depression and wanted to take control of their economic destinies and funneled that into things like sit-down strikes, wildcat strikes, Massive labor organizing of the UAW and the, uh, and the CIO, the radical CIO, the communist movement, the Communist Party, which was at its zenith of influence and membership, uh, organizing and, and, and creating locus of, of, of radical power within every node of government, up to and including the Democratic Party. 
And now we're in a similar crisis, or the beginnings of one, and there's no, nothing even on the horizon of, of even the ghost of those ideas. And I think people have a, a desire to want to explain that. And I think the idea of, uh, of inside jobbery, of, of being persuasive as, an ex, as, as a thing that could happen hypothetically, a thing that could realistically happen in this country, like a cadre of people within the, within the government carrying off a massive attack on some citizens, staging elements of it, and uh, in order to carry out this agenda in the Middle East. If you think it's possible to do that, then the failure of the left to make any kind of inroads makes sense. It's explained within the greater umbrella of that meta-explanation. Now, this is not me saying one way or the other whether I believe anything about 9-11. I don't really know. I'm agnostic about it, like I am with the Kennedy assassination. Uh, but I just think that the reason that, 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 that I have noticed anyway, and people can say I'm wrong about this, I feel like there's been a kind of a shift towards more credulity towards trutherism than used to be considered on the left. And I think it's because it's not necessarily any evidence, because the evidence has always really been there. And I think some of it is very eyebrowsing and brow-raising and incredibly persuasive. Not stuff like Tower 7, that doesn't get me, but, you know, the connections between Saudi Arabia and, uh, and the hijackers, you know, stuff like that. And uh, the, uh, like, the, 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 sh the, the uh, airline shorts, the, 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 the fucking amount of money that was made by people shorting airline stock that right before 9-11. Uh, but anyway, like I'm saying, it's, it's an interesting case. There's, there's stuff that's very eyebrow-raising about all of it. Uh, we know that a lot of the stuff that they say is lies. Like, they lied about, I mean, according to their own version of events, they lied for a long time about whether or not there had been an order to shoot down uh, Flight 93 or not, and whether Dick Cheney had issued it without any authorization from the president to do so. So, like, they, we know they lied about shit. And obviously there's, there's like, the, the degree of Saudi Arabian government involvement is, is at the minimal funding without, with, by some elements within. Like, how far it goes up, whether it was directed from the top of the, of the Saudi family, royal family, that is not proven, but minimal, minimal. But much more likely to the point of handling as if they were intelligence assets. And when you consider the American relationship to Saudi Arabia in terms of uh, uh, creating uh, radical Islamic terror groups in order to subvert the so first the, uh, the Soviets and also uh, secular leftist movements in inside the Middle East, it raises eyebrows, like I said. But I think what changes, what shifts over time is what people are looking for. And I think for a while people wanted to appear smart. They wanted to realize, no, I, I understand that this isn't about the Bushes. Like after Obama gets in there and just wrecks everything and just destroys any momentum that the left might have accumulated by, 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 by hijacking it and then, and then dispersing it to the winds. They're like, no, the system, it's bigger than Bush. And since it's bigger than Bush, it, it, he couldn't have been the, the guy who did 9-11. Like uh, he's, he's just another errand boy for this, this systematic uh, despoilation of the planet. But now, this farther into the shit, and now with another crisis looming, I think people need an explanation for, well, why, if we see this every day, why is nothing do, being done about it? Why are we not getting farther? Why are we not doing better? But like I said, 
I don't really spend a lot of time on that. I don't spend a lot of time on it because honestly, my assessment of the situation is not much much different if it happened any way that people say or not, you know? I guess I do resist the idea that Bush was like, we're doing 9-11, I guess. I always am resistant to that level of conspiracy conception. But I could definitely see... I could, I could accept as plausible uh, uh, any number of things from it being allowed to go forward after being discovered by the government to government making another step towards like paving the way and allowing it to go at the operational level as part of a broader strategy. But it doesn't really change the way mustard tastes either way. We still know who our enemies are and we still know what mechanisms they use to control and maintain this this illusion of uh, consent. So I don't know. I am, uh, I'm hesitant also to investigate it too much because I know I could definitely go down a rabbit hole. There's so many fascinating elements to that thing. I think there was, doesn't, wasn't there just recently declassified information that made explicit the degree to which there was high-level knowledge of the 9-11 plot in the Saudi government? Oh man, the anthrax attacks. That stuff will make you screw your head on the other way around. Anthrax sent right after 9-11 to major media figures and politicians with this weird block lettering saying, we have anthrax, death to America, Allah, whatever. And it's discovered that the anthrax was 100% milled in a U.S. government uh, biological weapons facility, specifically the one in Fort Detrick, Maryland, which is the, the headquarters of America's Chemical and Biological Warfare Division. It's the Unit 739, uh, 731 uh, for the contemporary America. And they never fucking found who did it. They accused a number of people. One guy, they eventually kind of had to re- half admit that they'd pulled a Richard Jewell. But the other guy that they accused last, he kills himself, and then they essentially close the case. They go, well, uh, this guy probably did it. I mean, that's... I mean, but at the same time, you're like, okay, the U.S. government used U.S. government anthrax to make that looks like Muslims did it. Why would they do that? Exactly. I don't understand it. It doesn't even make sense. That's its own terms. They couldn't find some anthrax that couldn't be directly traced back to the U.S. government. They did paperclip Japanese scientists. Japanese scientists who conducted monstrous medical experiments, not on foreign Jews like in Europe on American servicemen on G.I. Joe got brought to the United States and had their criminal records expunged in order to get the secrets of their tortures. But I have no idea about any of it. I try, to, I try to spend more time thinking about the current situation, the current, the current crisis. 
just because those are rabbit holes that if you're doing a greater project, I think are worth investigating. Like if it's part of a greater project, but I know for me, I think it would end up me just burrowing farther away from legibility. You know, I wanna uh, I wanna take this opportunity now with a little lull to uh, to make a little mea culpa here uh, on something that I've been saying for a while, pretty confidently, and then was proven wrong on recently. And that is when I said, of course, they're going to extend they're going to extend unemployment uh, and stimulus at the end of August, or uh, at the beginning of August. Of course, they're going to do it. They're not crazy. And people said, look, well, they they didn't do it. And yeah, you're right. But thinking back on it, I think my error came because that question never came by itself, or like my my, my somebody asking me about that never came as a as a question of like, hey, what do you think about unemployment when unemployment goes out in August? It was always framed as, hey, what about when the shit goes down in August? What about when the wheels come off in August? And I think I subconsciously took too seriously the assumption that just because this threadbare system and this massively teetering economy got the fucking uh, legs kicked out of it would result in some sort of generalized social crisis. And I think because I assumed that, I said, well, then, of course, they're going to uh, do it because they would have to fail to recognize the necessity of it to the maintenance of the system that they were providing, presiding over. It turns out they had better, they're either more cut off to even not even be registering these questions, and I think some of them are. Others of them, I guess, had better data than me on knowing that there is no limit to our debasement at this point. They have nothing to worry about. Tom Tillis is running for re-election right now in North Carolina, which, while a southern state, is at the presidential level kind of a swing state, and it has a Democratic governor. It's certainly not Alabama or Mississippi. One of his chief fucking uh, advisors, when told, asked by a woman who had cancer about what was going to be what she could do about getting insurance so that she could treat it, uh, said, "Well, you know, when I got want a fancy dress shirt and I can't afford it, I just don't buy it." And then she says, but I need insurance. And he goes, or I'll die. And he goes, well, you better get it then. I mean, he said that to a constituent. Anybody see Ghostbusters 2? You know, I'm a voter. Aren't you supposed to lie to me and kiss my butt? I mean, that's the minimum we're asking of these people to even look like it. Remember when John, John Kennedy, that fucking Yahoo from Louisiana, when asked about more UI, said, about well, people who want more money in the, in the pandemic, said, people in hell need ice water. So maybe I think a lot of it is just they are detached from the question. But I think either because people higher above them with more influence are aware of it, or they are just soaking in reality in a way that people who are paying attention to this meta conversation aren't, and they just at a basic level understand things. They know it doesn't matter. They know that they have this thing rigged. They know that, that, that there's nothing we can do or will do. They, it doesn't matter if they lose an election, and honestly, a lot of them have a rig where they'll never lose elections now. They've, they've, they've picked their voter pool, basically. They've winnowed themselves down to the ideal voter, and now they're going to be able to decide, basically, when, or, when, when they, or if they ever lose a fucking race. And they might lose a race, one or there, and it's fine. They still have their positions of power, and they can keep it, keep, and hey, maybe even if they lose this time, they can come back stronger 
Well, watching the Democrats fail to do anything. So the fact, and I'd say that right now what's happening here, where with an election in November and neither party stepping up to offer any kind of broad uh, uh, redistributed demand or some sort of insistence on massive stimulus at the demand level in the form of money to people, the fact that neither party has wrapped themselves around that, like, obviously, they both say they're in favor of it, but then it's all just this procedural shit. Nobody is out there. Biden sure shit isn't out there. And Trump isn't out there with any kind of demand or insistence or even like a stunt to get people more money in an election year. That means, I think, partially that they know there's nothing we will do. But honestly, I feel like they don't think that they could do it if they wanted to. In, in the sense, that, sure, they could sign the legislation and they could, like, let that money out, but in so doing, they would be destabilizing the relationship between employer and employee in this service economy in a way that is not sustainable to the system. It would be, it would be like we have starved the roots. We have starved people of money and made them replace it with debt it, to effectively control them so deeply that that's, that uh, mechanism is now the main way that we manufacture consent for this system beyond any bullshit with uh, pageantry of elections or even protests. It's that we have turned debt into a fucking cattle prod up everyone's ass. And if you give more people more money, you are literally reducing the wattage that you can blast up into their fucking taint. And that mean that's, and in a moment now when, 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 when it's asset stripping time, when there is no the timetable right now is strip the assets, sell the copper, get the pipes out of the ground. We are not distributing shit to anybody. The government doesn't do anything. The government doesn't do anything for you. Just get that through your mind. The government exists for you to own your enemies with it by getting people you don't like uh, either shot, killed, it's suffering in some way, triggered, whatever, afflicting, scouring somebody else. That's the promise of our elected officials. And if we give this money, then we are breaking that promise. And we are changing the elect we're changing the game, and capital, flatly, in this situation, will not allow it to happen. Now, because they need that liquidity at the top. Now, <clears throat> I think the main thing to draw from this is that the idea that there's going to be a Republican realignment where the, where the Dem Republicans become a Heronvolk democracy, like Tucker Carlson leads us into this uh, sort of populist Huey Long thing, like from Kaiserreich, where Huey Long is the, like, the national traditionalist president or whatever the fuck. There's no money in the till for this. Not in the sense that they couldn't do it, but in the sense that it would be too destabilizing to the system to let it be done. So that means that nobody's going to be able to run on a, I'm actually going to do what Trump promised to do, platform. It can only be culture war. Now, that doesn't mean that the Democrats are going to become more, uh, more populist than the other, opposite. They're going to be stuck in the same thing because these parties are still controlled by the things they're controlled by. Like, Trumpism could have broken into become a third force in politics the way Hitlerism did. Under, it hypothetically could have, if things had gone differently, and most importantly, if Trump wasn't who he is. If he was somebody who had the actual desire to do that, he could have. 
because his control over the base of that party is absolutely larger and more unified than the control, the piddly control of the party machinery itself. But because Trump didn't care to do that and was too lazy and stupid and uncreative to even think of it, it meant that the party took him. And so what that means is there's nobody in the pipe. There's nobody with Trump's hand laid upon it who has articulated a more robust version of national socialism or, or ethno-nationalism or heron volk democracy, whatever you want to call it. There's nobody who's been uh, ordained. And you can say Tucker Carlson, but he does not ha he will, I don't think he will have tr Trump's ability to be independent of the political process when he runs. Because, yes, Tucker Carlson is very, very famous and very popular on the, on the right wing of the Republican Party. But does he have the name recognition to run totally independently of a party machinery that, like I am telling you right now, will not allow for this Heron Volk's uh, populist turn? Will not allow it. It means, like, if Josh Hawley runs, it's going to be on nuke, nuke China. That's it. None of, nothing else. It's going to be we're going to get all of, our, all of our angst out about how bad things are and about how we refuse to help you by smashing the shit out of the Chinese. That's going to be the Heron Volk democracy. It's, hey, we're going to have World War II, but just in the terms of a massive land war in Asia. And, like, I think Tucker will be able to run, but, like, will he have the entire united Trump base behind him? No. Not unless Trump were to anoint him, and Trump doesn't care to do that. You would have to have a coherent organized, principled, ideologically driven core at the top of a Trump uh, movement that would then be able to seize control of this mechanism through the body of Trump and Trump's personal relationship to his voters. That has not happened. He is still in control of the same globalists they always was. Steve Bannon was the one guy who could have made this project happen. And they kicked him to the curb five minutes later. Why? Not because he was like too smart for the room or too much of a danger, because he was a dumb fuck. Because he, over, he overemphasized his own ability to do something. He was overconfident because he was a coked up, old, self-important, blarney-stoning Irish shithead. And his fucking reach was exceeded his grasp. The fucking, his, 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 uh, his mouth was bigger than his stomach. His nostril was bigger than his bag of coke or whatever. And he, of course, got instantly turfed out by the united, like the, the entire... Um, uh, um, immune system of the Republican Party kicked in at the institutional bureaucratic level, which filled in all the spots that Bannon couldn't fill because and was filled by because Trump just signed whatever rights gave him. Like Bannon lost the fight. Well, as soon as Rance Priebus was made chief of staff, it was game over, and Bannon got iced out because what the project he was doing needed somebody smarter than him to do it. So the fact that he noticed the moment doesn't make him a genius. A genius would have been able to actually make something of the moment, but. Because Trump is the guy we got, like this de per de per deformed, short-sighted, uh, slow-witted, distracted, cripplingly vain buffoon who could not seize the moment and like redirect the ship. Similarly, Bannon is just too thin, just some fucking coked up dipshit who like uh, read, who like, uh, like smoked a doobie with... Uh, with Brian Wilson and then read Turner Diaries and like it turned him into a fucking political genius. That's the people we produce in this country. Just mediocrities or worse. 
Everybody in Washington, I realized this reading, uh, this absolutely insipid review of, uh, of Henry Kissinger's latest book that Hillary Clinton wrote, where she says, it goes from Sun Tzu to Tacitus to Twitter. And I just think, these people are so fucking stupid. They're so dull. And what they've done is that they, they all of them confuse ambition with intelligence. They think that because people are driven to the top, in a battle of wills against other mediocrities in a bureaucratic stew, they're the ones throffing their legs the hardest. It makes them the smartest or the best at it. No, it just means they're the ones the most pathological. Because none of these people have anything other than fucking tomato bisque between their ears. And now, of course, yes, they also, uh, they also uh, confuse ambition with virtue. Like, do I believe good things? Well, I want it really bad, so they must be good things to want if I want them that bad. So this is why I don't think, unless things break in a very unpredictable way, like I said, like you know, black swans, you have to account for them. The trajectory right now, I don't think they could get it off the ground, even with Tucker Carlson as the, as the pilot or as the, as the spruce goose or whatever. Um, but, hey... I've been wrong before. I have no idea. I still put my money on the MyPillow guy. And it'll just be pure like, hey, wasn't, wasn't, it, uh, wasn't Cocoon a good movie? That'll, it'll just be pure last stage Alzheimer's, like just a return to a soothing past where, of course, also all demon pedophile Democrats are being executed uh, on TVs at all times. But I mean, if you can see three months from an election, neither party stepping forward, it either means that neither of them really want it, neither one of them want to win, they're throwing the ball back and it's hot potato, uh, or they just can't do it. It's outside the realm of the possibility, either because capital is explicitly vetoing it or because the effect of capital on the political process has, has so transformed politics to being the state of, like... Uh, of the market, it's so marketized politics that they can't, they're as in, uh, incapable of acting together as the bourgeois is local. Uh, I think this actually might be the explanation. I think this, thinking it through, I think this is why it is. Uh, it's because, this is why things aren't working. It's not even the capital saying, no, we can't do this. Stop it. It's because, so Marx described the gov like a government is the executive committee of the bourgeois. And the idea here is, is that there is a general thrust to capitalism, there is a capitalist social order that, that has to be maintained through like structures of coercion and consent to create a market that can then be used to transmit goods back and forth that accumulate capital. Uh, and that needs to be maintained. But the thing is, is that individual uh, capitalists are not acting according to the best interest of capital as a system. They are acting in what their perceived short-term best interest is because that's all they can afford to pay attention to. That's why, these are, this, that's why this is a terrible way to organize society and has to be done away with because of the massive waste, the energy just destroyed in these blind clashings of organisms that think they're separate but are actually one, part of one thing. And like Working this out of the system is what gets you to a point where you can actually apportion surplus rationally and morally, which are the same thing when you have a, 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 a 
a consciousness that expands to the to the to the level of like a a society a, a uh, society or a species or something. But anyway, individual capitalist firms act like individual capitalist subjects in their own short-term interests. And what that means is that they will often end up in situations where they competition is inferior to cooperation, but they're not aware of that. Like, this is game theory stuff, and then they mutually destroy one another. Like, John Nash won a Nobel Prize for talking about this stuff. And this is the state of the market without some force that is outside of the market to coordinate it, to do traffic signs the same way we do with what the liberals think is the necessary state, like the police and infrastructure. Like government, like the, the government, the political class is the infrastructure of the, the like the, the mechanism of that regulates the market. It has the same function. It is it's the police, it's the roads, it's all the minarchist stuff. And, it, and that organizes and synthesizes the will of the collective will, the collective best interest of capital away from the individual interest of actors within capitalism. And that means that some are going to fail and some are going to be hurt. Like the last 40 years has been huge, hugely beneficial to certain seg segments of this economy and has made them hugely pot, uh, wealthy, but it has destroyed others. And those decisions about which winners, like that's why it's so funny when Republicans talk about we don't want to w pick winners and losers. That's literally what government does. Like in the 70s, the Volcker shock and everything else that went along with it essentially chose the winners were going to be shareholders and the losers were going to be workers. And there's some overlap there because these are not all, uh, uh, you know, uh, absolute categories. So... But what has happened in the last 40 years is as econ economic hege the hegemony of neoliberalism destroyed the, the, the even the zone of action for economic policy, like it was off the table. Economic policy is determined by the Fed, basically. It's like they, the interest rate determines everything. That is the only real involvement the government can have in the economy. It does regulation at a level that, the that is acceptable to industry, and then it uh, does minimal oversight of everything else. And it collects some taxes to circulate money in the system, really, more than anything else. Uh, and in return, what that means, though, is that the zone of actual politics gets smaller and smaller, which means the people who decide to become politicians are less and less aware of what they are even doing. They're less, they, didn't, they weren't there when the, the uh, conditions were set. They've lived in the conditions. And now, so they think the only thing that matters is the, is the cultural bullshit that they've been arguing about for the past 40 years. And so that means that they then become like, and then also party, the party system dissolves in favor of uh, uh, people rising and falling based on you know, their ability to uh, be a spectacle of themselves. You know, you either get a nice gerrymandered seat through the party system or you become a political entrepreneur like the Tea Party clowns and Donald Trump and fucking Instagram thoughts like Dan Crenshaw and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Like, they're all part of this new celebrity structure. And what that means is that you've, rep you've, turned, you've turned politics into culture as you've turned culture into politics. And that means now everyone is just only fansing their way and Instagramming their way uh, through the politics, which means 
you've recreated the market in the political area when it's supposed to be the one that's outside the market. So it's operating by the same me-first rules. So they're so nearsighted, they can't even see the election three months ahead of them. I think there might be something to that. There's a siren. There's, oh, yes, I know. I remember this. I, I forgot you could hear it from here. That's the, uh, that's the uh, Friday night uh, Shabbos si uh, siren to let the uh, Hasids know and the Orthodox know that it's time to get indoors. Yeah, or maybe it's the 9-11 siren. I was uh, with Chris today, and we were walking down the street, and there was, and he noticed that there were some cops standing around. And he said, "Is there more, are there more cops out in the streets on 9/11? Do you think?" And I think, yeah, they probably do it as a show of force thing, but maybe they would say to stop a copycat attack. But it's amazing when you consider that the the amount of real estate that was kept that was occupied in the average American's brain by anxiety about terrorism, and how that's completely gone. Like it's not, of course. The terror zone is bigger now, and it contains more things, but ter terrorism has gone from this giant lobe of fear to this little sliver. And I think part of the reason for that is, can you imagine being an Al-Qaeda guy and bothering blowing up something in the United States? What, so that you could get like a trending topic for five minutes? And also, what are you going to do? Like, you're going to set fire to a... Uh, you're going to throw... What I mean... You go, it's like you're going to dump shit on crap. Like, we're fucked. This place, it sucks. What kind of, like, what are, what are you going to be able to pierce us with? With, the, like, oh, you blew up a building. First of all, we've seen that already. It's just terrorism defined our response to the 21st century. Defined our economy. Defined, doomed us, you could argue in many ways to not like not necessarily to apocalypse but to to less than we would have could have had otherwise and now it's it's a afterthought what has been spawned out of it has been just this nightmare whirlwind that is so much more monstrous and, and, and oppressive that we can't even muster up the energy to concern ourselves with the empty shell the husk of terrorism that used to fill our minds Yeah, 9-11, one of the most successful terror attacks in history, depending on who did it. Not to, I mean, it doesn't matter if it was Mossad or George W. Bush or the Saudi royal family, or it was Al-Qaeda, like that was a thing, or it was, it was, or it was a prank. It was, it was a, someone who was trying to get punked. It was just four really shitty pilots who just happened to have all started work on the same day.
Oh, the official story of 9-11, the accurate, zero, zero percent chance. Official st- I mean, the official story is never true, I mean, just for epistemological reasons, but you're not even getting closer. Any government thing like that, any, 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 anything that deeply involving matters of state is basically never more than half true, and that's like at the far, far, far end of the spectrum. I'd say that uh, the official 9-11 story is probably more than 75% false. I'll just say that. But what's in the 25% is a question, and that's what I don't know. And people say, the thing about the passport is, like, that is genuinely wacky. That his passport just floated down out of the thing. That is just kind of comical and, and eyebrow-raising, as I said. But at the same time, why would you do that? Why would you bother with that? Is it like there's, they're not going to piece it together? There isn't a name on a manifest? It just seems like it's such an uh, on-the-nose move. I'm scrolling through an article uh, in the Daily Meal, the 101 best pizzas in America. I'm going to see if I've had any of these, and uh, if I have, if they were any good. I could go for some pizza. I have to say, I, wasn't, I'm, I haven't had dinner yet, and now I'm looking at these pizzas, and man, I could go for one. Uh, Zollies. Never, never been to Zollies. Best pizza I've ever had was a couple places. One, Rome. I had, it was just a random place on a corner. It was phenomenal. And two, San Francisco. Uh, there's, a, there's a Neapolitan. I usually don't like Neapolitan pizza, I will admit. I don't like how wet it is in the middle and how poorly like the sauce and cheese adhere to the crust. And I don't really like the big fluffy crust anyway. But... Uh, that one in San Francisco is definitely the best I've ever had. I forget. It was just like a guy's name. Oh, Zafiro's from in Milwaukee. Zafiro's is really good. Zafiro's is great. You can get it at a movie theater. It's super, super thin crust. Oh, it's like the best. It's the best frozen pizza you've ever had, which in my opinion is a huge compliment. Does anyone know Frank something's? It's a name. It's a guy's name. I would like to try Comet Ping Pong sometime. I can't feel like I'm kicking myself. Frank Pepe is in New Haven, and it's very good. Um, it's in the old Italian neighborhood, North Beach. Yeah, I think it's Tony's. Yes, I think that's it. You know, the thing is, I'd really like a frozen pizza. I should always get frozen pizza. Oh, shit, I just realized I'm talking about pizza here, and people are going to think that this is proof that I'm uh, part of the cabal. 
I really just enjoy it. And that's one of the reasons that I, I kind of try, I, that's, that's one of the ways I pull myself back from falling too far over the brink of the whole, you know, the whole Epstein brain thing is, yeah, people talk about pizza a lot, but pizza is like really good and cheap and it's a thing everyone eats. It's relatable. It's gonna, if you start looking for pizza, you're going to find it a lot of places. It's not like it's foie gras. Oh, bar in New Haven. I had that. It was really good. My favorite pizza topping has traditionally been pepperoni, but I think I'm getting to the point where I really like minced garlic. I do love gelato. Oh, it might have been, it might have been, uh, it might actually have been modern in New Haven. My stomach is literally rumbling right now. No tat. No, no caparino. Wait a minute. Somebody is saying Mandela effect versus Totino's versus Tostino's. Uh, I'm afraid not for me. It was always Totino's and people who said Tostino's were wrong. It was clearly wrong. Yeah, if you thought it was Tostino's, that's your fault. I'm not going to validate your, uh, your, your delusion. I do like anchovies sometimes. I'm not going not gonna to lie. It's, uh, Defara I had once and found it very, very mediocre. Maybe I just had a bad one. Hey, Tony's Pizza Neapolitana is number 29. I mean, at least it's high on the list. Roberta's is okay. I actually prefer Speedy Romeo's to Roberta's when you're talking like high-end fancy pizzas. Speedy Romeo's my favorite of those. Patsy's I have not had. It's right near me though. I should go to Patsy. Maybe do they deliver? Maybe I go to Patsy's today. Yeah, I might do it. All right, I'm getting to the number one slice, the number one pizza in America. John's on Bleecker I've had, and it's pretty good. I don't know if it's number three. I honestly don't think it's number three, but John's on Bleecker is good. I had it once. It was very good, but I think I'd, I'd say the San Francisco one's better. Pequod's, that is number two here, and that is Felix's favorite. We tried to get Pequod's when we were in uh, Chicago in 2016. In fact, the famous picture of me dressed like a baby in front of a baby who is also dressed like me uh, was taken while we were waiting to get into Pequod's, but sadly it was too big of a fucking uh, line. It was Lollapalooza, so those fucking jackasses were in there, and so we had to go next door and have... And I'm disappointed because I genuinely am not a huge fan of Chicago-style pizza, 
He insists it's the best. I would give it a shot. And then they got Frank Pepe as his number one. Pretty good. Pretty good. Those are, I, I'd say those are, those are all fine, and I would love to try Pequod sometime and find out how it is. There is no good pizza in Ireland, that is correct. There are no good tacos in Ireland. They do a few things well. You want a lamb stew, they're your people. You want some mussels, those are pretty good. Fish and chips, I know it's English, but they do it good too. Uh, some sort of pud pudding pie, but they're not, they're not good with pizza. Some of the best pizza I've ever had actually was in Sao Paulo, Brazil, which has a, a, a large Italian population. Apparently, Rio pizza I've never had, but apparently pizza in Rio de Janeiro is criminally terrible, like surreally bad. Someone says Pequod's is not good at all. Shot fired. I mean, I don't really, I don't credit Felix too much with, with uh, gourmand taste. He basically just eats Beyond Burgers. Since he's gone vegetarian, he just eats beyond sausage and burgers on different, different, like, buns and shit. I bet South Korean pizza is bad. I would not think of them. I mean, they, I know they are the dairy Asians, but I don't think that they could really get pizza. Although I've heard, of course, very terrible things about Swedish pizza. Something involving bananas? Is this true? Is this, are those sick mutants putting bananas on fucking pizza, as I am hearing, happens? And like curry, banana curry pizza? And then they put a bunch of weird, uh, like vinegar uh, cabbage on it, call it pizza salad? Mutants. No wonder they decided to just stoically accept corona death. They're eating that kind of shit. They're all praying to get corona. They call a lethal corona of diagnosis winning the lottery in Sweden because who would want to eat that godforsaken garbage? I like, I like Detroit style. Uh, a lot of people were exposed to Detroit style without knowing it because uh, I think that the, the, the standard, like what they called, what uh, hand toss, what was it, hand toss or... Deep dish, I think deep dish, like not like Chicago style deep dish, but they would, they, but the deep dish style pizza hut was essentially a New York style pizza. It didn't, I don't think it had the, the sauce on top, but it had the same crust. So people would get that and not even know it was Detroit style. Back when, back when pizza hut was the nicest restaurant in, in many uh, Midwestern towns. What I could really go for, and speaking of Chicago-style pizza, is tavern-style pizza. That's super thin, super thin crust with the little slice, the edges on the sides. Oh, that's the stuff. I've seen the Trump pizza commercial. He did, uh, he did a pizza commercial where he, he goes, I made a deal. I eat the pizza the other way. I beat the butter crust. 
And then he did, of course, the McDonald's commercial with Grimace, where he did a job interview with Grimace. What a country, huh? The best chain pizza. I think it's the extra thin crust Domino's. That is really good. Extra thin crust Domino's is, uh, is a pimply choice for pizza fans anywhere. Among, among you know, nationwide chain places. Yeah, I'm in the Totino's universe. You Tostino's people meet amongst yourselves to get figure out how you're going to get back into the rift. Because honestly, if I if I was thought I was a Tostino's person, I might decide, yeah, let's find a rift. Maybe in Tostino's world, 9/11 never happened. You know, maybe in Tostino's world, we didn't get this monstrous trajectory. We 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 kind of took a breath and a moment and and recalibrated our our uh, our desires. I mean, obviously, this is. Highly unlikely, but maybe the Tostino's universe figured things out a little bit. Not, not perfect. Things are still probably pretty bad in a lot of ways, and they probably have no idea how good they have it. They think things are critical, but we look at them and we'd be like, my God, they're so much closer than we are. So yeah, I would try to find the Tostino's universe if I thought there was one, but if there is, it's not mine. This is my universe. I am lashed to the mast of the sinking ship of the Totino's universe. Yeah, Bernie is president of the Totino's universe. And he's been president. He won in 2016. And we, we, we are on our path to uh, climate uh, uh, amelioration and Every uh, massive uh, uh, superstorm is met with huge reconstruction projects and green technology all over the place and transfer of green technology to emerging nations to cut down cooperation at the level of governments to mutually draw down the way that we mutually drew down nuclear uh, stockpiles in the 70s. Uh, Somebody, uh, somebody asked if I, uh, to get Seth Rogen on the show. I don't know what we would talk about. I would, I would, maybe I would tell him that one time I had an idea for a movie with him, him and James Franco, you know, Pineapple Express style, and the gimmick would be that he would be, uh, he would play Marx, and James Franco would play Lenin, or no, Lenin, not uh, Engels. And the only thing I had was a scene where they were at like a meeting, and. Jonah Hill shows up as Bakunin, and they start busting each other's balls like it's a Judge Apatow movie. Judge Apatow. Judge Reinhold and Judge Apatow. Uh, and I had one like joke where Rogan Mark says, Hey, uh, hey, Mikhail, how's the secret society going? You guys got Dakota rings yet? And then. Bakuna goes, no, you're totally right, Marks. 
Yeah, you, you're going to have revolution by writing a fucking 5,000-page-long economics textbook because there's nothing working-class people love doing more than fucking long division. But I think that, that would, uh, that's more like a funnier-die sketch than an actual movie. It would, be way, it, would, it, would, it would drill itself into the ground within five minutes. It would, wear, it wouldn't even, it would, it would get overlong as an SNL sketch. All right, guys, I, I'm up on an hour here, and I got to go because I got to get Pizza Dudes. Pizza Dudes got 30 seconds. Anyone know what that's from? Anybody 100 years old? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, correct. Well done. Kudos to you, sir. All right, this, uh, this thing's getting wobbly, so I better sign off. Peace and chicken grease.